How you guys doing? Good break? Yeah. Yeah. I missed y'all. I'm glad you're back. I, uh, I'm going to do something. I'm going to try to rap for you guys. Okay? This could be embarrassing. This could turn bad. It might turn into more of like a spoken word. Okay? But here it goes. You guys ready? <clears throat> you can call me Jaws. Not because of these mad mandibles that rap with a cause and spit rhymes without flaws. You can call me Jaws because I'm the great white. Now, you probably think there's a connection based on my complexion, but upon further inspection, if rap is an ocean composed of business commotion, then amongst the sharks, there's still one who's all about heart. And I ain't talking desire to top charts. No, I'm talking focus on the spiritual part of our existence existing within this inferior existing extension of the existential dimension. God, I just tried to get their attention. Tended to that tension that no one wants to mention. You know, wanting life to have meant something, but the something we met doesn't mesh with what we predeterminedly came to expect. And then what you expect when what you expect intersects with what you actually get. You get inner neglect, people forcing themselves to forget, distracting ourselves with what we say is next. We're treating life like a Lexus because we're pursuing perfection. But perfection, perfection, this is the part I really want you to hear. I'm going to circle back if I can. Perfection. Perfection in an imperfect dimension is automatically the wrong direction. But a perfection that's connected to its actual inception, that's not a direction that's simply existentially heaven. Okay, so I'm gonna hopefully come back to that part. There we go. Uh, that went better than I anticipated. Thank you. All right. If you, I'm gonna. I'm going to jump in by trying to revisit where we ended last semester, okay? I don't know if you were here the last encounter last semester, but I'm going to try to summarize real quick because real quick, we're going to build off of it. So our very last encounter, we looked at the ideas of salvation and sanctification, um, okay? Two concepts. Once again, we spent a lot of time talking about them last time, so I'm going to try to go through them real quick. Salvation. Salvation simply means to be saved, Okay, and if you are truly saved, that means you are delivered from a harmful, ruinous, or a situation of loss. Okay, so that's what salvation is. Sanctification means to be set apart. Now, it's important to understand that I think these two things are often connected because whatever is saved is then set apart. If we're not careful in our spiritual lives, we know, we know all about saving, but the setting apart should go hand in hand with it. So to illustrate, we looked at the idea of someone drowning, right? If someone is in the middle of the lake drowning and they're drowning to a point that it is beyond their control, saving themselves is beyond their control, their only hope would be for someone on the surface in a superior position to reach into the water and pull them out, okay? So salvation is the deliverance from that harmful situation, right? you're about to drown, that's obviously a harmful situation. Salvation wouldn't just be delivering them out of that situation. It would be bringing them into a new, better, superior position or reality. Okay? So it wouldn't just be the removal of like the horrific reality of almost suffocating or drowning. Salvation also includes placing that person, setting that person apart sanctification, setting them apart in a new reality 
that is outside of the water, one full of oxygen and air and life, right? Life on the surface beats drowning, okay? So that is a physical example. That is a physical example. And not all of us, thankfully, none of us right now are drowning in the middle of a lake, once again, thankfully. But spiritually, here's the thing. Every single one of us is drowning at least at some point. Some of us currently, but spiritually, every single person is drowning, or at least in regards to this metaphor, okay? And we are drowning to a point that rescue is completely outside of our control. And so spiritually, every single person needs saved. I'm gonna just read through Romans 3. I was reading this the other day, and I'm like, hey, this summarizes it perfectly. So let's go through this passage real quick. Romans 3, 19 through 24. Obviously, the law applies, and the law is God's word. The law is God's rules for life. It's his expectations for you. And it says, hey, God's word, his law is given to all of us, for the purpose of keeping people from having excuses and to show the entire world that they are guilty before God, every single one of us. For no one can be made right with God by doing what the law commands. No one can save themselves from drowning by methods of their own means. God's word, Jesus, shows us how sinful we are and sinful how drowning spiritually how we're all drowning God's word reveals that to us but then it says God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law and this was promised to us in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago we are made right with God we are saved We are saved by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. Everyone has sinned. Everyone is drowning. We all fall short. None of us are worthy to exist on the spiritual surface, the other side. Only Jesus is on that other side. And yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right. He will rescue us. And once again, as the last verse says, he does this through Jesus Christ who frees us from the reality that we all are spiritually drowning at least at some point, okay? So from a spiritual standpoint, Jesus Christ is our only hope. Only he can save us because only he is God and only God could present himself to humanity, present himself to us from a superior position. Going back to the illustration, if we're submerged, we need a superior being on the other side if there's another reality, but that's part of what Christianity believes. Jesus is on that side, he saves us. He rescues us from spiritually drowning. But what I want us to see tonight is it's not just about pulling us out, it's about where does he set us apart? Where does he set us when he pulls us out? Now, last time we did focus on this. Salvation has to come before sanctification, right? Remember, sanctification means you're set apart. So that has to do with after you're saved, where does he set you, okay? But here's the problem. If you're not saved, if you're still drowning, you, it doesn't matter what the surface looks like or if you know all about it. It doesn't matter if you're still drowning, right? You have to to be saved first. That is what we talked about last time. Salvation has to come before sanctification. 
Once again, if you're drowning, it doesn't matter how bad you want to breathe, how bad you have to be, want to be on the surface. You can't. You can't until you're saved. Hopefully this makes sense. And if you guys ever have any questions about anything, please, I hope I'm an approachable guy. Please come talk to me. Like, this is literally, this is my life. Like, I love talking to students about the truth of Jesus and God's word. So, Last time we looked at salvation, it has to become before sanctification. I'm going to spend the rest of tonight and next week looking at sanctification. Okay? Yes, Jesus has to save us, but if he saves us, there should be evidence. And sanctification is the evidence of someone who is truly saved. So I was reading through Philippians not too long ago. These two verses popped up, and I was thinking about all this at the time, and I was like, hey, this is perfect. So two verses from Philippians, real quick. It says, may you always be filled with the fruit of of your salvation. If you plant a seed, does it just automatically grow? If a tree is truly growing, what's the evidence? There will eventually it will produce fruit, okay? So he's using that idea, that illustration, and he's saying, hey, for someone who's truly saved, there should be fruit. There should be some fruit. Um, the next one, I'm gonna just jump down to Philippians 2.12. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. So notice in both of those verses, they don't refer to salvation as some magical one-time fix-all event, which I think sometimes we're guilty of thinking of it that way. Oh yeah, I love you, Jesus. Okay, everything's good, I'm golden, right? Notice it refers to continued growth. Salvation should lead to fruit in our life. It should lead to results in our life. And so, real quick, the reason we are all spiritually drowning, okay, once again, that's a physical, physical example of a deeper spiritual truth, okay? So here's the spiritual side of it. The reason we are all spiritually drowning, at least at some point, is because every single one of us, we reject God, and we choose to try and exist outside of his personal presence. Okay, and that is what Jesus rescues us from. He wants to save us from our floundering existence, trying to exist outside of his personal presence. God is omnipresent, but his personal presence is a whole different level. And so for those of us who ask him to save us, that's what he does, is he picks us up and he brings us into a new, better, superior, holy reality. And guys, it's simply his personal presence. That better presence. Life on the surface spiritually is simply the personal presence of Jesus Christ. And guys, if you're truly there, it transforms you. Because no offense, God is way better and more powerful than you. And if you're truly in his personal presence, guys, it transforms you, which once again means there should be evident, evidence and fruit and proof. There should be results of that transformation. And those results are sanctification. Sanctification is evidence of truly existing, being saved into God's personal presence. So how can we know if we are truly living in the personal presence of God? How can we know if we are genuinely being sanctified. And first of all, guys, I have to point this out. Please hear me all the way through this. If you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ, if you have never humbly asked the God of this universe to rescue and to save you, you can't. You can't. 
You can't know what living in his personal presence is like until you ask him to bring you in. And I'm not saying that to be a jerk, I'm not trying to be mean, okay? But it would be very unloving to sit there and tell a drowning person what life on the surface is like and then not actually do what it takes to save them, all right? So if you have not been saved by Jesus Christ, that's simply the next step. What's the point of talking about where he sets you apart if you haven't let him set you apart yet? All right, so that's my first. Now, with that, please, please, please hear this because if you're an unbeliever, if there's someone in here who's not a Christian, please hear this. I am so, so, so glad you're here. And we want a chance to love you well and to prove that our faith is real. And I hope you keep coming back. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might think, well, it's pointless for me to be here. No, it's not. Once again, we're glad you're here and I hope you give us a chance to explain to you why we claim to be Christians why we claim to be Christians. So for those of us who are Christians, for those of us who do claim genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, I wanna go back to the original question. How do you know if you're truly being sanctified? How do you know if you're truly allowing Jesus to set you apart in his personal presence and allowing him to change you? And we're gonna look at some practical things next week and the following weeks. Um, tonight, I wanna to close by just kind of addressing what I believe is the heart behind true sanctification, okay? So, I'm gonna pray real quick. Jesus, I'm about to point them to an answer I have no control over. But if an ounce of my faith is genuine, I ask that that is the part of me you hold on to and please bless tonight. Please send your Holy Spirit. In Jesus, it's in your name, amen. Okay, so back in 2017, I worked at our local Bloomington Chick-fil-A. Um, I worked there as, is Carson here? Hmm, figures. All right. Anyways, Carson helped me out. Carson helped me out. So I worked at a Chick-fil-A. I was there for two years. They brought me on just onto their management team. I kind of started as a manager. Um, and one of the first things I had to learn as a manager at Chick-fil-A was how to count drawers, okay? So this is a cashier drawer. It's also called a cashier till. Um, Carson, once again, helped me out, brought me one of Chick-fil-A's. Cashier till, okay? And um, I had, this was literally, I think, the very first thing I learned as a manager, okay? And so uh, basically, a cashier starts every shift with a predetermined amount of money in here. Okay, and then throughout the shift, as they collect money, it is added on to that, all right? Let's say $200. Let's say every cashier starts with $200 in their drawer, okay? Then they take orders from customers as they collect money, it adds on, right? So at the end of a shift, it's the manager's job to pull it out, count the entire sum, all right? Subtract 200, whatever that amount is, that's your pro that goes towards your profit for the day, right? So you take that money, you insert it in the safe, um, but then you have to put 200 back in so it's ready for the next person. And I think it was literally my very first day on the job. Um, Troy, good friend of mine, he's the general manager, he was teaching me how to count these drawers. And I remember he said something that really stuck out to me. Okay, and so um, I was counting my very first drawer, let's say for the sake of math, I'm gonna try to make this easy, let's say there was $1,000. First drawer I'm counting, there's $1,000. I would subtract what? 200, which means, what was the profit for the day? 
800, very good. So I take the $800, I put it in the safe, I put 200 back in the drawer. Pretty simple, right? And I remember he looked at me and he said, good job. He said, that is a clean drawer. When I was done with it, he said, good job, that's a clean drawer. Now, clean is the word that they use to refer to a cashier till that has been completely restored to its original worth. Okay, if a drawer is restored to its actual value, they call it clean. I had done a clean drawer, and I was like, well, that's easy. I go to put it back, but he says, whoa, 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 he grabs me and he said, hold on. He said, good job, that's a clean drawer, and he said, but it's not complete. He said, you have a clean drawer, but not a complete one. And that caught my attention even more. And he went on to explain, in order for a drawer to be complete, it wasn't just about having it restored to its original value, but a lot of times drawers have to be put back in there. Once they have that worth back, there's some things that could be out of order that have to be restored. For example, you have to have the certain amount and the right kind of change, right? You have to have this, the right amount of quarters and nickels and dimes and pennies. If I hand this back to the next cashier and all there is is pennies and they have to give 80 cents to someone, right? That's kind of a pain, right? You need so it's about organizing and getting it back. Ones and like as far as bills, you couldn't leave 20s. If you had a complete drawer, there were no 20s. It was just fives and ones, okay? Because once again, you give it to cashier, first customer pays with a $20 bill and all you've got is 20s. No change, right? That's an issue. So a clean drawer, it's not the same as a complete drawer. Does that make sense within that illustration? Okay. So I'm going to challenge you guys spiritually with kind of that same concept, all right? So this question, this question is only for those of you who claim to be Christian, okay? This is only for those of you in the room who have truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, once again, I'm glad you're here. I hope you'll hear us out. This has to do with why we believe. <clears throat> but here's the question. Christians, are you perfect? Okay. This is good. I should have told you to answer internally. <laughs> okay. With that in mind, okay, let me, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Here's another question. And answer, well, I mean, shout this out. Is Jesus Christ perfect? Okay. So with that in mind, I'm going to take a minute. We're going to take 30 seconds, and here's my request. For those of you who believe in Jesus, I want you to try to remove everything from your consciousness that doesn't have to do with the holiness of Jesus. All right, we're going to take 30 seconds here in, here in a minute, and I want you to try your hardest. Forget about homework. I know, it's, I know you just got back. Forget about homework. Forget about your future. Forget about how much money you want to make. Forget about family problems, the boy or girl you like, all your social status, money, sports teams. No playoffs are happening. If possible, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to try and remove all of that for your con from your consciousness and I want you to think solely about why you think Jesus Christ is perfect. And what does his perfection look like? If you're not a believer, you don't have to, but I challenge you, why not? Give it a shot. Think about Jesus. Could he be holy? So, 30 seconds. 
Let's just quietly pray in your hearts. That's between you and Jesus. We'll come back in a second. Is Jesus Christ perfect? Once again, for Christians, that should be a rhetorical question because yes, absolutely, and I hope he lets you see that, or at least in the degree that he wants to let you see it for right now. And so with that in mind, though, I'm gonna re-ask you the other question. Once again, don't answer out loud because then I'm gonna read some scripture to you, okay? Jesus is perfect. As Christians, we should believe that. Are you perfect? Once again, process this internally. Here are some verses. Romans 6.10 says, Christ died once for all your sin. Hebrews 10.14 says, for by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Romans 3, this is the passage we read earlier, just a portion of it. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested because we have the righteousness of God for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for God made Christ who never sinned, who never was drowning spiritually, because he consistently always lived on the true surface. He's made Christ to be the offering for our sins so that we might become the righteousness of God through Christ. Just so you know, righteousness is kind of a fancy term for spiritual perfection. That's part of it. There's more to it. But God, here's 1 Corinthians 1.30. God has united you with Christ for, the, for our benefit. God made him, Jesus, our righteousness, our sanctification, and he is our redemption. So, one more time. This will be the last time. For the Christians in the room, you claim Christ, authentic relationship with him. Are you perfect? And for the sake of time, I'm gonna jump straight to what I believe. And Jesus, if I fail you at all, let it fall on deaf ears. If any of this is false, then forgive me. But if you genuinely believe in Jesus Christ, and in this moment, you can truly present yourself before him in authentic faith, I believe you are perfect. I personally believe you are perfect, and here's why. You're not perfect. Wait, 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 what a second. You're not perfect, but guys, Jesus Christ is. And I believe one of the most foundational components of who he is and his message to mankind when he came here was that if you believe in him, he saves you. And part of salvation is being set apart in his personal presence. That's not a gift to be attained, it is a gift that is already given. And when you are brought into his personal presence, 
He transfers, he gives, he bestows his perfection onto those who truly believe. And so for Christians, us Christians, I think the problem isn't that we're not perfect yet. It's that by the grace of Jesus, we already are, we just don't believe it. We just don't believe it. And guys, I imagine some of you are wrestling through some things and please don't let it fester. Come talk to me if that's true. I want you to know I've wrestled through this longer than most of you have been alive. So please come talk to me, but I'm gonna try to to explain this a little bit deeper. Here's the thing. If Jesus Christ appeared in this room right here, right now, for those of you who truly believe in him, if he showed up in his bodily form, which he's perfectly capable of, and he looked you in the eye, and he asked you, are you perfect? If you don't answer yes, no offense, I pr- Jesus I know, I think would look you in the eye and he would lovingly rebuke your faith. I think he would rebuke your faith and he would ask you why you don't trust him more and believe in him more and know his holiness more. If you have been saved by Jesus Christ, guys, the God, that means the God of the universe has set you apart in his personal presence. And life in the personal presence of God means that by, not because of anything we've done, that's the hard part. We have a hard part letting go, letting go of control. But by his grace, in his goodness, all his attributes are transferred. They are credited. They are given to us including his perfection. But once again, guys, the problem is we don't believe it. And I think that is so important. I think it's at the heart of the gospel message. And quite honestly, once again, if you're wrestling with it, come talk to me. But if you dive deep enough, I think this helps reveal whether or not we truly start with Christ. There's a lot of Christians who don't start with Christ. To me, this is a good measuring guide. So remember, sanctification is the evidence that we've been saved. Jesus has saved you. That means he set you apart. Where? For his presence in the future? We're the ones that don't believe that. I think he would say, no, you're in my presence now. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, that's going to be between you and him. Because we have to be careful. Here's the thing. Sanctification isn't the journey to perfection. I think that's how a lot of us treat it. Sanctification, I believe, is the journey of discovering why we continually fall from perfection. And if you wrestle through that, I truly believe that puts you at the feet of Jesus. So remember the cashier till? If the drawer was clean, what did that mean? A clean drawer. What did it mean? Not a complete one, a clean one. 200 bucks, it was restored to its original value, its original worth. It was made perfect in that regards. So in the same way, when you put your faith genuinely in Jesus Christ, I believe he restores you to your original worth, your original value now. But the problem is we don't believe it. And so even though he's made us clean, our unbelief, is why we're not complete. And sanctification is a journey through some of that unbelief. I think sanctification becomes the journey of working through why we don't believe what's already true. 
Okay, so back to the wrap. We're pursuing perfection, treating life like a Lexus because we're pursuing perfection, but perfection in an imperfect dimension. That's part of our problem is our idea of perfection is based on this world. Perfection in an imperfect dimension is automatically the wrong direction. But a perfection that's connected to its actual inception. Perfection is real, guys. It's why our hearts yearn for it. But it only exists one place. Jesus Christ. But if your perfection is connected to him, then it's not a direction. By his grace, you simply get to list existentially heaven. Live in existentially heaven. I hope this makes sense. Once again, Come talk to me if you think I'm talking blasphemy, okay? We're gonna talk more about sanctification next week, but tonight was all about addressing where true sanctification should start from. And I believe it's perfection. I think most of us start and we think, oh, it's for perfection. Yeah, God, eventually. I think our lack of faith, we don't, I think Jesus would say, no, you have it now. Why don't you believe? So if you truly believe and you've had surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, he has made you perfect, you should be starting from that every day. You're gonna fall from it. But we should be starting from it every day. And if you don't believe that, well, then that's between you and Jesus and that's kind of the point. So I'm gonna pray. Here we go. Jesus, my intent was truly to leave these people at your feet. If I didn't honor you in that, if I misrepresented you, (laughs) I ask for your forgiveness. Restore me to perfection. Help me live like I believe it. And um, yeah, Jesus, I just pray for all these awesome students. I pray for our world. I think the gift of the goodness that you offer is what everyone needs. Forgive us for not believing. And I just... We harp on sin, and sin reveals, but you even told us sin reveals unbelief. So help us get to the root of the issue. Help us believe in you more. And so, yes, Lord, help us believe in you more. I pray this in your name. Amen.